Welcome to the Campfire Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Ask almost anybody who's been to summer camp, whether they be kids or staff members, and they'll tell you, it is awesome. They will also tell you through their words, but mostly through their actions, that they learn a ton while there too. As a longtime camp director, youth sport coach, and father to three growing young men, I know the lessons that we learn at camp can be hugely beneficial for all of us back home in the real world. So, each week, I'll spend some time around the digital campfire talking with professionals from inside and around the summer camp world. We'll share their lessons, their ideas, and their practices in a way that I hope will be immediately useful for your life back home. So, pull up a seat, get your marshmallow ready to roast, and let's spend some time learning together around the campfire. Every great camp has its own traditions. Whether it's singing songs on the floor of the dining hall after breakfast, a swim, the lake challenge, sitting underneath the old pine tree at campfire, or donut delivery on the 4th of July, the camp is full of moments that repeat and give meaning. My guest around the campfire tonight, Dr. Elizabeth Corey, has spent a lot of time thinking both about summer camp and tradition. As a college student, Dr. Corey spent a few summers as a staff member at Green Cove, a traditional all-girls summer camp in North Carolina. Fast forward to the present day, Dr. Corey now serves as the director of the honors program at Baylor University and is also a mom of a current Green Cove camper. I met Dr. Corey because of a wonderful article that she wrote about the importance of summer camp and the traditions that it introduces to the young and the old. Her words are guided and sprinkled with the old wisdom that she's been studying for a long time and has been teaching in the classroom. And she's also influenced by a wonderful story from this past summer's mother-daughter hike. I hope you'll enjoy this tradition-heavy campfire conversation with my new friend, Dr. Elizabeth Corey. Dr. Elizabeth Corey, I'm so happy to have you around the campfire. Thank you. It's great to be here. So now you spent a full summer uh, around a campfire, if you will, in North Carolina uh, a little while ago. How did you get to camp? Well, it was a fun Thing. I had actually not been a camper at the camp where I was a counselor, but I was looking for a summer job after my first year in college. And a friend of my mother's, um, an older uh, lady in her 50s, said, well, Elizabeth, why don't you come and be a, a counselor at Green Cove? And I said, well, I'll give it a try. So I went out for the full summer. We have a, a three-week session and then a six-week session. And I was the counselor for the for the six-year-olds of all things. We had six-year-olds who would come for the full six weeks and many of them didn't even know how to brush their teeth, yep. but I, I kind of got to teach them to do that. Uh, and I was the tennis counselor. So it was just kind of on a whim. And then I came back, not the next year, but the following year. So I actually had two summers uh, for the full summer at, at camp. And that's how I got into Green Cove. Wow. So Green Cove, just so everybody knows, is, is one of the great traditional all-girls camp in North Carolina. Yes, it is. And it's known for not being glamorous in any way. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there are no air-conditioned cabins. Uh, you, know, you don't get a diamond for having gone a number of years. It's yep. just being outside, being in cabins that are kind of rustic, and, and learning how to do things outside, learning how to mountain climb, learning how to paddle. And it's, it's a wonderful place. Yeah, and I know I've I've heard stories of Mrs. Bell who has run it for a very long time, yes. um, and she is she's kept the ship going and 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 keeping the traditions alive. She really has. I mean, I just heard this year that she is handing the uh, the ship over to another family member, a younger 
uh, director whom I don't know, but this is um, this is part of the family. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly the camp, I, I think it was, there's a brother camp that's been around since the 20s. Green Cove is, I believe, uh, was founded in the 40s, and mm -hmm. these this family has has run it from the beginning and continues to do so. And uh, to bring up their kids to to inherit the uh, to inherit the that's amazing. So one of the things you the reason why we met is you had written an article in a magazine called First Things, which is uh, it's a Catholic magazine that writes on a across a broad spectrum. Um, I read it because I, I love the arguments and I, I love just hearing how people write and think. I'm, I'm not Catholic myself, but you wrote an article about summer camp. And so as a, as a camp director, I, I read it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I have to talk to Dr. Corey about this. Um, and it was really focused on traditions. What, what made you want to write about that? Well, it was, in a sense, a very personal reason for writing. Um, my daughter's 14. She's, uh, she's interested in lots of things, but a thing we constantly struggle with is the social media influence in her life and in the life of her friend. Mm -hmm. And the way in which that becomes kind of the, the milieu in which they uh, live. I mean, so that it becomes more real to have, uh, you know, a, an Instagram following than it does to, to be really involved in a community. Now I'm not saying my daughter is that way, but there's a way in which the whole, the whole modern world in the sense of the digital world pushes kids, especially pushes all of us, but certainly pushes kids to, to think that that's real and to think that those relationships are somehow um, real her at camp because I went back this year to do a, a mother-daughter hike and I was back at camp for the first time in 25 years it was mm -hmm. it was a time warp and but what I felt immediately as I got to camp uh, was that nothing had changed there mm -hmm. and I was 25 years old, but camp was exactly the same and I saw that <laughs> she was living the experience that I had had 25 years and to me, that was incredibly reassuring that that certain things don't change, that they change only for good reason. And mm -hmm. there wasn't much reason to change anything at Green Cove because things were going so well. What I saw in her was a kind of happiness and a lightheartedness that I, I don't see in her during the year. She mm -hmm. and her friends say camp is where they go. They wish they could be at camp all the time. I mean, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be ready to send them away quite yet uh, <laughs> to go live somewhere else. But but many of them say that's the best, it's the best part of my life. So I started to reflect on, well, what makes it better for her uh, than her normal life? And part of it is that there's social media. There's no um, electronic, uh, you can have a radio. I think you can listen to, uh, you know, a radio station or you can download some, some songs on your iPod, but there is no internet access, mm -hmm. which means that the kids are thrown back on their own resource, talk to each other and they hang out together and they build these relationships um, doing things that people have done at camp for generations. Mm -hmm. So all of that made me think there is a thing going on here that I need to document. And that's what made me write the story. I love it. Well, one of the things that, that you talk about, and I just want to read just one piece of it, and I'll, I'll skip around just a little bit. You say that my daughter and her friends thrive within these constraints. Um, and as a camp director, I would be the first one to say, yes, we definitely set up constraints, but it, it's so wonderful to hear someone looking at it and, and someone who, I mean, you've read deeply in the great works of, of Western civilization. You see the need for the constraints and it, it looks like. I do. I think in many ways, we're also accustomed to saying, well, what's good for us is what, get, is what makes us freer. Mm -hmm. uh, it's what makes us uh, more able to choose 
you know, at the store, we have 500 varieties of peanut butter that we can choose from. That's better than having simply two or three. But, and this is every, people will talk about this often. There's, there's a way in which that kind of choice can be paralyzing and it can make you think, well, I, I can't choose. I don't know what is good. I don't know what is not good. How do I make the decision between this or that? And that's true with the moral life too. So that I think it does children a great service to have some or maybe very many constraints on their choices and to say, this is good because your elders say it is, and this is bad. This will lead you to good things if you do it, and this will lead you to bad things if you if you do it. And and there are, there are ways in which camp is able to to put those constraints uh, in a way that they can't they can't exist in in, in ordinary life because mm-hmm. you are in a place you are expected to do certain activities. Um, you're by definition with a group of people who are uh, you know bounded. You're, you're mm-hmm. not going to meet strangers. You're you know you're all doing the same thing. So I think uh, I think that. The, the constraint of choice is actually um, liberating for, for, for children. And my daughter loved it. She didn't have to make decisions about what she was going to post on Instagram because there was no Instagram to post on. <laughs> she could make decisions about whether she was going to paddle or sail or who she is going to be friends with. Those are, those, are, those are relieving choices in a certain way. Absolutely. Well, and you talk about uh, later how you get to know each other through those groups. I want to read this paragraph. But what I've described is not, a, not as elevated as a religion. It's not as venerable, uh, sorry, venerable as an intellectual moral tradition. Nonetheless, this camp experience is bounded and visible. It illuminates what traditions offer to human beings. It requires what all traditions do, that we interact with other people who share our loves and our inclinations. Doing this with others happens not just once, but regularly year after year. And I love that idea of bringing back the tradition and how that actually helps us interact and helps to form us going forward as long as we do it year after year after year. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that paragraph because uh, I've been doing some reading and there's a, there's a literature. I'm actually going to write a book about this. Um, I was contacted by a, an editor who liked the piece and said, you need, you need to expand this and make this into, so I'm, I'm, that's my plan. I don't have a, a clear sense of exactly where the book is going to go yet. But in doing research for it, I've, I've found that there's a literature on ritual. Mm. And to me is a, I mean, we can talk about tradition on the one hand or ritual on the other, but a ritual is a, is a vital part of a tradition because what is a ritual? Well, it's something you do again and again. And in the doing of it again and again, it, it has more and more meaning. It's sort of like, it's not that different from liturgy. I, I am a, a traditional um, Anglican and we have an Anglican liturgy that mm. we repeat every Sunday. And some people mm-hmm. say, well, you're just repeating the same words every Sunday. That's not, you know, you're not feeling, you're not feeling things the way you ought to. Mm-hmm. Well, the idea of a liturgy or of a ritual is of course that it does have meaning and that you come to know the meaning in the doing of it. It's not an intellectual exercise where you're kind of like, oh yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. It's the actual doing of it turns you into a certain kind of person. And I see that at camp in a really concrete way. The doing of um, hikes with friends Mm-hmm. makes you a person who understands how to relate to people, uh, how to, how to run projects together, uh, the learning how to do something that's scary to you, like mountain climbing. Oh, you're doing it with a group. You're doing it with friends. And it, it forms you into a kind of person who is adventuresome, but not reckless. So mm-hmm. this kind of ritual, you know, doing thing with people is I think incredibly important, especially for young people in this age where the tendency is to say, 
I'm an individual and I'm going to do things my way. Camps are a really great way of saying, no, you're going to do things in a community and you're going, you're going to like it. And they do like it. It's not that they're forced to like it. They do. Right. And, and they know what to expect. I mean, you talk about with the girls, they always at Green Cove will sit down after breakfast and sing for 30, 45 minutes on the floor yeah. of the dining hall. And that they know that there are specific events that are coming up that they truly look forward to. Absolutely. Um, and, and that I think is something that we're missing a lot in society back home is that there's not some very specific things, you know, to look forward to. Right. I think there are ways in which we reproduce them outside of, of camp for sure. The holidays, uh, mm-hmm. birthdays, uh, you know, special occasions, you know, 50th, 50th anniversary of your grandparents, something like that, you know, is, is coming, but, but it can't, it's almost as if the ritual, the rituals are a really crucial part of it because there are these events that every, I suspect your camp does it too. Mm-hmm. Every camp does them every summer and mm-hmm. the kids and they're, they're idiosyncratic to that, to the camp. So the mm-hmm. kids will know, Oh, our camp does this and this is distinctive. And I'm a person who does this. And my friends know this. There's also something uh, about saying other people don't do this. Mm-hmm. I do this and it makes me special for this reason. And that's mm-hmm. what I, I mentioned in the article a little bit uh, about the place. Mm-hmm. Place matters. You know, there are things you can do in North Carolina that you can't do in Pennsylvania, that mm-hmm. you can't do in Texas. Mm-hmm. So you're having been in North Carolina and the beauty that each of these places affords, which is different from place to place, mm-hmm. is the experience. Uh, it's like a family home. Family home is a place where you have these tremendous memories and you know what's occurred there it's not just the same to go from home to home to home. It right. a place matters. And I think camps really um, instantiate that in a, in, a, in a tangible way. Absolutely. Well, and it allows, I think that, you know, having done this now 20 years, you see kids use camp as the base from which they can use as a launching pad and go yeah. off and do different things. You know, I, I looked at, at your bio. I mean, you went from camp to Edinburgh, uh, then back to camp and then on to this wonderful career. How did, how has camp, molded your career? I mean, obviously you look back on it very fondly, but did it, did it shape you at all in the process? You know, it, I don't think it shaped me as much as it would have had I gone as a teenager. I was mm-hmm. a little bit older. Uh, so it wasn't, I don't think it was for me what it was, what it is for my daughter. I mean, she's making these lifelong friendships by going year after year to camp with the same girls. She wants to go to college with her camp friends. She told me the other day, <laughs> It's not as formative for me in that way. However, it is, it is formative in the sense that I am a person who's part of this community that is special. Um, I feel this in other ways, too. I, I think a lot of people feel this with their school, with their undergraduate school. Mm-hmm. You know, I am a person who went to this college, and people at this college do the things I do. And camp is, is a lot like that. Or I'm a person who goes to this church, and the things this church does and mm-hmm. believes form who I am. And, and my identity is not just again, me as an individual, but me as a member of a community that does and loves the same thing. So in that sense, yes, it was, it was wonderful to be part of that camp community. It was one part of who I became. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, one of the things you talk about in, in this is in your piece is about how traditions are, are changing and are, are frankly being attacked and, and critiqued quite a bit, you know, across our culture right now. Yeah. Um, you would argue though, that it, it's, that's, uh, to our detriment in many ways. I would, because the problem is, is um, well, the, the good thing about traditions is that they actually preserve a great deal of good 
a great mm-hmm. deal of wisdom <laughs> that prior generations uh, have discovered before us and then have passed down to us. So we don't have to reinvent the world anew every generation, mm-hmm. which does require a kind of deference toward the old and toward the established. And I think our culture tends to be suspicious of that, tends to say, well, there was a lot of bad bound up in those traditions. There was a lot of um, oppression and inequality. And, and a lot of that is true. I mean, mm-hmm. there is. But I think the, the job of uh, our job is to say, well, traditions are multifaceted and traditions can also change. You know, to say it's traditional is not to say it is unchanging or static. It is to say only that there's a line of continuity that goes from the beginning to the present and hopefully on through the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, the things that are undesirable from our perspective can ought to be perhaps changed, modified, but that doesn't mean to throw out the whole tradition and to try to, to start fresh. Um, also, I mean, there, there really is something in the human psyche, certainly in mine, but also in my daughter's that says, without tradition, I kind of wonder where I've come from. Mm. I want to know that I've been done this way and that I am plugging myself into this and that this will go on after me. There's something yeah. deeply, I think, reassuring to, to people about this. Yeah. Uh, now, we can talk about it in a philosophical level, but, but in a camp level, it is, it is exactly what I experienced when I went back to camp, having been away 25 years and saw it's exactly the same and it's doing the good that it did for me back then, right now. And God willing, it will continue to do that good for the the generations that come after. That's amazing. It's funny that, that it, those comments made me think two stories, and I just got chills thinking about one of them. But we have an old building at camp. This camp was founded in 53, and this building was built in 54. It's an old basketball gym. It's got all the names of all the kids and plaques and awards and whatnot all over the building. And we bring the staff members in, in there on the last night of our orientation. We have a nine-day orientation with our staff before the kids get there. And I spend just a couple moments, I mean, it's just maybe two minutes, and I have them look around and say, I want you to realize something. You're now a part of a tradition that has gone on since 1953. You're part of something that has been here for a very long time. And your opportunity is either to make it better or make it worse. You know, and it's funny how when people, I guess, put it in that context, that they realize they're now a part of something that's has gone on before them and God willing will go on after them. That's a pretty powerful piece to, to who they are going forward. Oh, it, it, it absolutely is. And it's, um, you know, it's funny. I, I think we can feel this with families too. I mean, in the best case, let's say you love your parents and you have a happy family life. What you want to do as a parent, I'm a parent, obviously I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I wrote the story about the ideal is to say, I want to take what my parents gave me and give that to my children so that my children will want to do what I have done mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Now, in case, I guess in the modern world, we're supposed to sort of make our own way and not try to be like our parents. I mean, there's this funny way in which I, I, a lot of my peers had thought, well, to be like my parents is to kind of fail hmm. because my parents are conventional and they're you know doing the things that parents do and having jobs and kids and I want to do something much more interesting than that. Well, what's interesting is that actually most of those parents who used to say that have gone on to become parents and raise children and, and to find satisfaction in, in frankly, a rather traditional way of living. Mm-hmm. And the ones who haven't done that, I would dare say have not been as happy overall because mm-hmm. <laughs> it is that uh, these traditions have a lot of wisdom in them and 
to plug ourselves into those traditions is not to fail. It's actually to to do good. Yeah, I heard Dr. Larry Arn, who's the uh, president of Hillsdale College, uh, once asked, you know, why why are old books important? And he said, well, well, because they're old, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. and because they've lasted the test of time. <laughs> exactly. you know, no, I would hate as a college teacher to have to think about well. Let me choose from 2019 and 2018 right. the best books. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be a tough that, that would be a tough job. I, I don't think it's actually quite doable because we don't have enough time on those books. We don't understand yet mm-hmm. what in what way they be truly great or or not great. So I mean, I, I'm doing a, a traditional liberal arts uh, curriculum for our, our students at Baylor, and it, it's it's pretty clear what some of the great books are. We don't have to make that decision every every year. We we know what they are, right? And that's mm-hmm. one of the beauty of tradition too. That certain things are decided for you, right? Well, and and that's, that brings up another piece uh, paragraph in in your piece here. Living traditions depend on constraint and judgment. They embody codes of conduct which both lead to in which both success and failure are possible. They reward hard work and consistency with hierarchies that give more honor to some and less to others. They often require apprenticeships, long spans of investment in the tradition before a person can be a full participant. These challenges heighten the value of traditions. People know that their places were not bought cheaply and that renunciation will have the costs. Yes. Um, and to me, that says if for a camper who wants to become a counselor, that's it. I mean, that explains it right there. They want to become a camp counselor at their camp. They've got to put in the time. They've got to earn the place. That's right. And if, if they renounce it, it's, it's gone. But I think that's something the ideas of constraint and judgment are some things that are a little bit lacking in the broader culture right now. They are. And that's, that's the part of uh, camp that I, I think is, is so wonderful because we're not talking about politics there. We're not really talking about religion. Uh, Green COVID for sure is not a, an explicitly religious camp, but there are clear standards of success and failure and right and wrong. I mean, you can get kicked out of camp if mm-hmm. you violate those rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that you want campers to be kicked out, but that is to say that there are expectations for you. And if you fulfill those expectations, then you can get to the place where you want to be, which may be a camp counselor in training or eventually a counselor. And what that means is you get respect from having, you know, climbed that ladder of responsibility and the, the children want that. Um, mm. So the, the judgment is not like a, you know, a, a negative judgment, but it is, if you want this, you will do the work that's necessary to get there and we will judge whether you have done that or not. And if you have, great, then you, you, you ascend to the next level. And there's something very satisfying, I think, to young people about seeing a, a, a course charted out clearly and doing what's necessary and getting there and saying, yes, I did this. I wasn't given it. I didn't just, you know, happen into it. I actually earned it. Oh, that's where true self-worth comes from, because they see that they can actually overcome obstacles in, in pursuit of something they deem worthy exactly. and requires a lot of responsibility of them. You know, they, they see the purpose of it and they go for it from there. Um, it's funny. You mentioned Augustine's uh, benevolent harshness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated that because when, when you, unfortunately as a person who has had to send children home, you know, for doing certain things, you know, that's a very harsh thing you're, you're separating a child or a counselor from the community, which they, they say they love. Um, it, but you have to do it in a way that honors the relationship and honors the person. 
That's right. And, and the benevolent harshness is an interesting notion, and it is, of course, related to discipline. And I always think of it as in terms of, say, parental discipline, but certainly it applies to camp, too. Mm-hmm. If you, if there is no penalty for doing the wrong thing, you're not, har- you're not helping the person. Mm-hmm. You're actually harming the person. You're allowing that person to go forward in behavior that is really harmful for her. And someone who is loving and benevolent does not want that for the person. Uh, you actually want them to, to either, you know, change their ways or make the right decision, or in some pla- in some cases, be punished for the bad behavior, uh, so that they will then turn to the right uh, to the right behavior. So, I, I think the benevolent harshness is something we don't like because it's no fun to be harsh ever. <laughs> I, mean, I don't like it, but. Uh, but it's it's for the good of those who who um, who are part of the community to to experience this. Yeah, and I think it's it's uh, it's one of the worst things that I have to do, but it's also one of the most important because it, it shows the message of to that child this behavior is not okay and there are consequences for that. But it also shows the rest of the community, here's, here's our level, here's our line. If you cross this line, this is the consequence. And so I think it, it informs the entire community, camp, campers, counselors, parents, everybody, um, what the true spot is. That's right. No, you're absolutely right. So I have to end with, with one question about one of the stories you put in your, art, in your article. Um, you went on the hike and you broke a bone. I did. <laughs> what happened? Well, this was this was the thing that that made as I had to write the story. I got back to camp and I felt nothing had changed and I had not changed either. I thought, okay, well, I happen to be 25 years older, but I'm basically just the same uh as I was 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I haven't aged. I'm still in reasonable fit shape and good for me. And then I'm coming down from the hike I trip and I fall badly and I hurt myself badly. Mm. And that was not fun. But, but what came after it was what made me realize um, that, you know, traditions, traditions have a place for even the, not the young and the fit. So I, I, I had to hobble <laughs> back on my daughter's leaning on my daughter's shoulders, as I say in the, in the article. But what that showed me was that there were younger generations who are coming up behind me to, to support me. You know, and and that being older wasn't to be a failure. It was to to understand that life is not all about the young and the youthful and the new and the modern. But it is to say, you know, there's a in traditional modes, as I would hope, there are, there is a place for everyone. There's a place for the youthful, the the very young, the the middle aged, the the very old, and uh, and that's what you know. Coming back and falling and being vulnerable made me realize. It, you know, the traditions are, uh, are better than throwing out traditions because they, they still afford a place for, for the life cycle for everybody in, uh, in whatever position he or she happens to find him or herself. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I imagine it was a scary thing for your daughter, but also in some ways to have you leaning on her shoulder to get back to camp probably was a pretty powerful moment for her. It was. It was something I'm, I'm quite sure she will never forget. <laughs> but yes, I mean, not least because suddenly I was depending on her. I could not walk but for her. And I think she realized, oh, gosh, maybe that'll, there'll come a day when uh, I'll have to be my mother's support rather than she mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're all, hopefully all going to get there to that point. Yeah. 
Well, great. Well, Dr. Corey, thank you so much for spending time uh, to talk to me around the campfire. I, I absolutely love the article and I'll, I'll certainly put it out there for all of our families to read and think about. Um, but I, I wish you the best. I hope your daughter has a wonderful time at Green Cove this coming summer and, and into the future. I'm sure she will. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Take care. After thinking about Dr. Corey's wisdom, two questions popped into my head. First, what traditions do you hold dear? And by that, I really think I mean, what traditions and rituals do you practice? Because it's really more important what we do rather than what we think, isn't it? Thinking about the traditions that we have back home is actually harder for me than thinking about the traditions that we practice at camp. At home, we have traditional meals at certain times of year, Thanksgiving and Christmas and whatnot. We have nightly rituals with our family. We ask our boys for their happies every night before they go to bed, and we bless them before they go to sleep. Kate and I have actually had a ritual that we've practiced for now almost 20 years. Each night, we ask each other's three happiest moments from that day, and then we share one thing that we appreciate about the other. It's one of the best parts of my day, and I think has actually helped us keep very close over the last 20 years of marriage. The second question is this. What kind of person are those traditions and rituals making you? Because whatever we do shapes us, and whatever we do a lot shapes us a lot. At summer camp, we build and protect traditions that make our campers and staff feel like they're an important part of something larger than themselves, because that's what they are. They are a part of something larger, and they're very important to us. Each of the traditions and rituals create moments that are unique and special and are looked forward to. Whether it's the peace of campfire by the lake on Friday night, the breaking of color war, the, the two happy rituals before going to bed, our camp staff at our camp and at many camps have built these moments, these traditions, these rituals in order to instill that sense of purpose and of belonging. Are we doing that back home with the same level of intention? And if we aren't, don't you think it's time we start? Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you found this or other podcasts useful, I hope you'll leave a rating or a review on whichever podcast service you're using. And I hope you'll share this podcast with a friend. Our campfire circle is big enough for everyone. Until we speak again, do good and be good. Thanks again to our friends at Scope for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. Scope stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. Scope campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting Scope. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at support scope.